Hello and glad to have you back for another season of Tomorrow by Design. In this episode, Borussia Dortmund win the Bundesliga. Yes, this episode was recorded um, quite a while back. And other than that, we learn about special justice where we share our experiences about working in Nairobi and how some little design features could go a long way in making it a bit more pleasant working within Nairobi and in the outskirts. Let's get into it. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Tomorrow by Design and the first episode for season two um, after what I'm guessing is a short hiatus. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're glad to be back, glad to be um, back again, up and running. And trust you, me, we have a lot in store for you guys this time. And I'm sure you've already read the title for this episode, so you know um, that exactly, exactly, exactly. It's it's about to go down. I believe. Um, so we have um, today. Um, what we're looking to discuss is um, what it is like to work in Nairobi. And uh, so let's put one foot in front of another and hit the streets of Nairobi. Explore what it's really like to maybe work in this city in one foot now. Um, so, uh, good question. On hand. Yeah, I know we all have mad stories about working. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I was just saying right now, on the way here, um, I uh, decided to walk from, I, I always forget the name of this road, but those sides, Uko, Chini, Uko, Yaya. So I was walking and Ring Road, yeah? So on the way here, um, it was good to see at least that even provisions mm-hmm. for um, pedestrians and even a cycling lane. Um, something that I've not seen at long Nairobi. <laughs> yes, my coffee call. Definitely not bringing down the price of living con- standards and conditions, but we have pedestrian paths. <laughs> and pedestrian paths, exactly. But um, but there is room for improvement because there's one thing that I couldn't um, wrap my head around. Um, exactly. The thing, the specific thing was, so I'm walking on the path very nicely. I'm even uh, even impressed by the trees that they decided to plant in between to like demarcate the pedestrian's path and the cycling path. They weren't palm trees, were they? They weren't palm trees. No, they weren't. For one, Nairobi city and palm trees. Yeah. But anyway, so every time I went to, I was seeking a, a corner. Um, the path abruptly enters, and I had to cross the road to where the path was continuing from the other side. And I was like, "Hey, what's what's the logic for that? Do I have to like, eh. um, like tarmac mm-hmm. for cars was also that way? That they get to a place, they have to stop, and then they get people. <laughs> <laughs> But and then again, we're talking about uh, this is one of the best cases, to be honest. So there's places like CPB, which, to be honest, I they start stories by there. Um, um, Kenyatta Avenue, they've really tried. Yeah, okay. Okay. that's where they, I think all 
that started, at least for me, visually, that yeah. was the first place I started seeing the changes. Mm-hmm. When um, bad, oh, I'm not even saying, I'm sorry, I'm saluted. Um, bad is, <laughs> I took over uh-huh. and uh, the former governor was, um, a lot of things happened. I was waiting for the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this happened at like COVID time. So, yeah, so the red bricks, the fancy designs that yeah. are coming up, and then there were also black bricks. Now, for yeah. me, the confusion was, what is the color supposed yeah, to signify? Did did they, yes, I feel like there was communication that was missing somewhere mm-hmm. because the design itself was wasn't communicating fully. It's like, yes, it's a pedestrian path, mm-hmm. but when it changes to black or when you segmented yeah. it, in your, what, in in your my, mind, like, it, it, it should mean it should something. something. Okay. Yes. Is, it, uh, is the black one now a cycling lane and then the red one for pedestrians? Mm-hmm. Then when it's all jumped, okay. yeah. the places where it's supposed to be a, like a, an extension mm-hmm. of a pedestrian crossing, like, why would you mix it as though it's, it's a chessboard? It doesn't. Yeah. You know, they, 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 this is why they need professionals like you, oh. <laughs> in the design process, right? <laughs> so that you can tell them the color can signify something. You can guide people. You want these guys to pass through here because it's black like this. Yes. <laughs> Use people's mental models. You already know how pedestrian crossings are, the white and the black. So just the same way, if it was red and black, yeah. continue with the same sort of um, width, yeah. like the dimensions of the red and black, keep them consistent with that of the... Is it, is it the same reasoning as when you're in a supermarket and you're, you're like lining up to go to an aisle, there's usually the tiny foot footprints that are stuck on the floor. Like, oh, you know, you're supposed to line up this way. And then it had the COVID distancing. So, like, it, it tells you what to do, but at the same time, it's like, you know, color. The color means go this way. Exactly. <laughs> I get you. Part of the refining in Nairobi, which includes for pedestrians, I mean, we'll get to cars another day, but it's, I don't think it's really thought through, you know, where should you pass, how, and the times when, um, where the, expressly is we already talked about this mm-hmm. during rush hour it's basically pooling the conflict between pedestrians and drivers but the drivers are in traffic so it's like mm-hmm. pedestrians are just like <laughs> <That's you know. laughs> well i really um i totally agree yeah. with all your points um it brings us back to where you are jumping on the road when I was jumping on the road, exactly that. And I mean, I was trying to, I really was trying to wrap my mind to be able to understand all of that. But anyways, um, well, lucky for us, at least today we have a guest um, who has uh, who is coming up with innovative solutions um, to make walking safer and uh, more enjoyable for everyone. So we have an urban planner and development researcher um, currently working at IPS Research Group um, at the Department of Spatial Planning um, at the Technical University of Dortmund in Jet, is it Dortmund or Dortmund? You know what? Whatever you need. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> Whatever flows. Whatever flows. In Germany. <laughs> One of those teachable moments, pronunciation. Pronunciation. <laughs> pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So please help me welcome our first guest for season two and our first guest ever, um, Dorcas Nyamai. Hi, Dorcas. How are you doing? 
Yeah, hello everybody. Thank you, Louise and, and Lena. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. <laughs> oh, yeah, you did. Yes, it's Dortmund, so you got it really well. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> if you watch football, then you probably know it's a, it's, it's a big football city in Germany. So... Um, Dorcas, um, could you tell us what an urban plan, um, urban development researcher does, and um, so how that relates to working in Nairobi? Yes. Um, yeah. First of all, it's a pleasure for me to be here and talk about these pertinent issues in our urban spaces today. Um, I'm an urban researcher on uh, yeah urban development, and indeed, this is a very broad topic that is very multidisciplinary it touches on all urban issues in um related to transportation related to economic growth of cities related to housing and generally how we utilize space in cities um i've done research in the past on the economic geography of cities in africa focusing mainly on the inflows and outflows of foreign direct investments in african cities and what that means for economic and spatial growth. Um, at the moment, my main focus is the linkage between urban mobility and spatial justice or equity in sub-Saharan Africa. And I'm currently involved in research on urban mobility in Nairobi, um, in Namibia, uh, three cities and towns, Vintuk, the capital, uh, Rehoboth, a satellite town south of Windhoek, and Helana Fiji, a town in the north, close to the border of Angola. Um, and I'm also currently involved in a project that is investigating the impact of disruptions on the mobility of marginalized groups in Cape Town, South Africa, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and the rural area of Germany, where I'm currently based. So in a nutshell, I focus on the spatial growth of cities, but currently my main focus has shifted from the economic geography of cities to look at um, urban mobility. Oh, wow. Um, quite a lot. Quite wow. a lot that's going on over there. Yeah, yeah you do a lot. That is a significant amount of research. <laughs> You've named like five cities, four or five cities? Yeah, at the moment, yes, more than five. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. About nine cities that I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah. That is interesting. And um, also to give context, I think the, the basis how we started the discussion is um, we came across um, an article that you had done. Mm -hmm. Shared your article. Oh, ah, yes. 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 Uh, thank you to our listeners. Yes, time. To wherever you are, just know that uh, you sort of um, see that um, this. Uh, episode coming into life, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And the article was talking on walking and spatial justice. Um, there are a lot of big terms over there. Um, for one, I don't understand what the um, could you define what walking is because I don't know what walking is. Putting one foot in front of the other, uh, uh, <laughs> walking, he kind of got a little confused uh, over there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I'm um, going across that article. Um, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, so from that article uh, on um, working at special and social justice um, in, in Nairobi, um, how do you think urban design can help 
uh, make walking safer and more accessible. Uh, uh, I think you can start first with what social justice is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At least, um, so everyone's on the same page. Yeah. Uh, for for everyone, yeah. I, at least I know it. Yeah, well, uh, spatial justice in a nutshell is the intersection between social justice and space. It stems from social justice. Um, and social justice is a theory that was uh, introduced many centuries ago. But in the present day, in the 21st century, it mainly focuses on the work of an author called John Rawls, who wrote a theory of justice in 1971. And he tries to picture a scenario where um, people are given the responsibility to decide on um, the equitable distribution of resources. And he calls it what is, he gives it a term of um, behind a veil of ignorance. So you don't know what you are going to become in the city. You don't know whether you're going to be poor. You don't know whether you're going to be rich. You don't know whether you're going to live in Kilimani or uh, to live in Kibera. So you ideally decide on distributing resources in a manner that whatever your outcome will be, it will be equitable for you and everyone else in the city. Of course, this is a hypothetical situation and it's, it, it ha it, his work has been criticized by many authors as being uh, as not being attuned to everyday realities, which is the case. We cannot equally distribute resources and especially with the uh, theory of spatial justice, it tries to, to challenge how resources are inequitably distributed in space. It's inherent that resources are not equally distributed. I think if you talk about continents, Africa has a wealth of resources compared to other continents in the world. And it cannot be that these resources are distributed equally. Of course, one geography will have more resources than the other. But it's in seeing how we can allocate these resources that they meet the needs of everyone in society. In most cases, they will not be equal, which is a term that is often uh, interchanged with equity. But they will be distributed in such a way that the person who is least fortunate in society, and these are mainly people who are um, with low income, for example, or marginalized groups, that their life will also continue to have prospects of better growth as much as the wealthier people in society continue to profit. So if you think about it as a, as a rolling stone, that as this rolling stone continues to roll in the direction of positive wealth for the wealthier in society, it also rolls in the same direction of positive wealth for the poor people, that they are also, they have prospects of maybe income mobility or uh, wealth prosperity, um, and that they are not left behind in society. So. That is, in a nutshell, uh, spatial justice. And when it's related to urban mobility, it means that um, the way we design our spaces and the way we allocate resources for how people move around in the cities, that it also takes into account the least vulnerable in our society. And this is mainly the people, again, with low income who are not able to afford motorized transport and the people with disabilities whose choice of mobility is all always often limited. So yeah. that's how spatial justice gets its linkage with urban mobility. Oh, wow, okay. That's, that's, a, that's a huge one. We had to, uh, to define that for everyone else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 so, 
your story mm-hmm. about how you had to cross over. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if you were in an assisted, uh, let, let's say like a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. So you have to think about how you have to cross the road to get to the other side for the yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and even the slope, <clears throat> the, yeah, the sloping into, or rather the transition mm-hmm. is not usually that, I don't think I've found many places that have taken that into account transitioning mm-hmm. from the pedestrian if, if I'm crossing mm-hmm. a road it's it's a step mm-hmm. it's an actual step yeah. so if if I'm in a wheelchair or if I'm helping someone in a wheelchair mm-hmm. we have to carry him down or her down yeah. of the mm-hmm. so special justice wow yeah. so what I heard is that in an in an ideal world it would be like everyone has equal access to the resources that are available, but this is not an ideal world, right? So yes, exactly. And I think it's it's also moving away from the term e- equality because equality is difficult to achieve for everyone. Yeah. But it's in terms of equity. And there's a very nice cartoon that is portrayed by a guy called um, Angus. I've forgotten the, the the name, but I think it's Angus McQuay or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he illustrates three three people standing behind a fence. Um, and it's yeah. For example, it's a father, uh, a son, and a daughter. Yeah. The daughter is the shortest. The son is middle height, and the father is the tallest. Mm-hmm. And they're all given one stool to step on. Mm-hmm. So that's equality. You give everyone one stool. But still, the daughter is very short. She cannot see over the fence. Mm-hmm. But what what equity means is that you give three stools to the daughter so that she can be able to see over the fence while the father retains one stool and maybe the son gets two stools, for example, so that everyone has access to what's over the fence. So the foot, it's it's drawn to be a football, like a football match going on on the other side of the fence so everyone mm-hmm. wants to see it. And that's what basically that's what equity translates to. Yeah, yeah, you can uh, already picture the, or at least I can really imagine the, the the picture you're talking about. Yeah, we will definitely link it in the show notes for you guys. <laughs> and a very special um, plug to have you guys um, uh, subscribe to our show. So, show, 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 uh, get more on uh, what it is that we talk about and even just general you know, banter about more stuff as well. So, yeah, we will definitely look for that and share with you guys. Yes, absolutely. And also, we will link um, Dorcas's paper mm-hmm. to the show notes. Mm-hmm. Check out, read up, try and see where these concepts are coming from, and then feel free to push your questions to us as well. Mm-hmm. Always happy to receive them. Mm-hmm. So what I'm curious to find out is um, how um, urban planning or urban development um, or the whole concept of urban mobility is linked to um, uh, creating um, safer and uh, more accessible spaces um, in the city, in Nairobi, from the research that you've done. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. you that you've seen on that. Yeah. Um, yes, indie design does play a very critical role. Unfortunately, many cities today have been designed to accommodate easier access by use of motorized mobility. And I'm referring to cities in sub-Saharan Africa, at least where I have worked. Um, and they provide easier access for motorized mobility, especially the use of private vehicles. Um, 
And these are the cities that we humans have created. We've created these kinds of cities to accommodate private vehicles. But I also believe that we can recreate them to accommodate non-motorized mobility. Um, and especially in cities in sub-Saharan Africa where the dominant mode of mobility is non-motorized transport. Yeah. This, however, has to be both this, uh, however, has to be both a political will and financial will because it requires a lot of resources to recreate spaces. Uh, but if you compare the capital investment that goes into designing cities for motorized mobility vis-a-vis -vis non motorized transport, the costs are considerably lower. Um, and we're also at a point in Africa where most of the countries are comprised of young people. Um, the 2019 World Economic Forum reported that 19 out of 20 of the youngest countries are in Africa. And these are countries that record a median age of about 15 to 17 years. So we're talking about a large group of people, over 70% of people who don't have a car and can't even afford a car, let alone even having a driver's license. So um, if we are to design cities for the future, we need to focus on what we have at present. And I think we can leverage this youthful generation and nudge them towards the use of non-motorized transport, especially cycling, if the infrastructure and industries are provided. We don't have many bicycle manufacturing industries for, uh, in, in many African cities. So bicycles end up being very expensive and then they're only accessible to people who can afford it. So it becomes, it turns into some kind of elitist mode of transport. That if you have a bicycle, it's expensive, it's cool, you can afford it. And even the, 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 the way we advertise or the way we advocate for use of bicycles in cities today, it's often that it's, it's somehow, I find it a little bit intimidating because it means that you need to put on helmets and very special gear that is also very expensive um, to be able to cycle in the city. While I think cycling should be an everyday mode of transport, I want to be able to cycle in my in my suit when I go to work or in my jeans when I'm going to meet friends or something. I don't want to think about having to wear some sports gear so that it looks fashionable and sporty. So these are some of the ways that we can change this mentality, especially among the young people that we have. And that goes hand in hand with designing uh, cities to accommodate these modes of transportation. Yeah, very true. I actually, I agree a lot with what you're saying, um, especially the point on um, the gear, the gear, the gear. It takes mm -hmm. a big change. Um, a lot of a lot of the guys who, or at least from what I've seen, a lot of the guys who cycle around um, Nairobi from the guys I've seen are mostly hobbyists, I'd say. Um, so weekenders who are going for a ride um, around Nairobi or within the, or the outskirts of Nairobi. And to be honest, even the people who are working within would stand to benefit a lot from just riding around and creating those um, spaces which um, allow for that is really essential. Um, I also agree that isn't enough that's um, being done as, as far as um, allocating resources for designing um, for urban non-motorous forms of transport um, in Nairobi um, at the moment. Well, but yes, like I was saying, there are um, some few um, good examples within some different places in Nairobi that show the same. So, also some um, like with companies like EV, they do 
uh, electric bicycles and the fact that they're being used by uh, delivery guys on TV the insects the meal, um, they are electric bicycles and the fact that they're being used to by delivery guys for global and it kind of demystifies the fact that one deliveries have to be done by a Buddha Buddha and two um, you know you can also copy yours and don't you don't need to have the gear that is you know yeah. like with the thin, the kind of bikes that are the ones that have very thin tires mm-hmm. I forget the names because I'm very like I think so me and Joe are two black mamba to my so I think with companies like those and partnering people like Lobo mm-hmm. kind of makes it, it, it would make me want to purchase a bike mm-hmm. yeah and then mm-hmm. ride one not just purchase it and then come yes okay. <laughs> okay. I think you made my mind okay. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with you because um, you find there there are quite a lot of private firms. I'm I'm not sure about public companies uh, or other uh, uh, public institutions that provide incentives for people to own cars. I've Mm -hmm. heard of private firms where you can get a loan uh, to buy a car and then it's deducted every month from your salary. A a portion Mm -hmm. is deducted every month from your salary. And I think that's an incentive that can also be converted for electric bicycles because Nairobi is very very hilly. Uh, Let's not ignore that. So terrain also does play a role here. And if you want to encourage people to cycle, um, it's also about making it easier for them. I'm not sure whether people would want to. It, it, it of course, has to be one's own will to to want to use um, a, a normal bike to go up the hill. But yeah. of course, it would be much easier if you're using an electric bicycle. And if you can have such incentives from private companies for people to own bicycles, mm-hmm. that's also one way that you can encourage people to cycle. Just to piggyback on what you said, I think marketing plays a very big role because yeah. with um, a lot of banks, they'll have posters up on, oh, 0.6% per annum mm-hmm. to buy your new car. Mm-hmm. Like, if they have the same for buying a new yeah, bike, your the bring the same, precisely. Yeah. Bring the same. And the same goes for <clears throat> um, just infrastructure at shopping centers or coffee shops where I can park. Mm-hmm. Like, just give me a bike rack where I can actually. So I'm not thinking that one, it'll either get stolen or where do I actually leave my bike? Mm-hmm. Um would I think is is one of the incent like infrastructure incentives to get people to ride bikes yeah. to places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any lessons we can learn from maybe cities who've done it right, especially introducing this cycling? Um, situation. Are there any like examples where urban mobility has been improved? Like that's mm-hmm. a fantastic example that we could follow. Especially yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I think it's really great to actually have a south-south learning and not mm-hmm. only look at cities in the north because I think cities in the north, yes, they, they develop very well, but they, they also have much more resources than cities in, in, in the global south. And that's a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Um, I, I don't know of any good example I can give in a developing city, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been to China, although I think China has may have a good example of how to integrate non-motorized transport mm-hmm. um, in their cities. But I lived in the Netherlands for three years, and I think that's where my um, my passion for non-motorized transport was reignited. Okay. Um, I will, I, I've, I've always been passionate about non-motorized transport. I've never wanted to own a, a vehicle, a personal vehicle. I still don't own one, and I hope I will not be able to own one in the future. Hallelujah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Marco, I know all <laughs> of you think me that I don't know how to drive. You heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a professional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But the one thing I've been able to enjoy is cycling and being able to go to one place uh, from one place to another by bicycle. I was able to do literally everything with my bicycle. I was able to go shopping with my bicycle because they have even bags that are attached at the back of the bicycle or you can buy and attach at the back of the bicycle to carry your groceries from the supermarket back home. There's very good parking facilities in the supermarket, also very good parking facilities uh, in your neighborhood. But actually, the Netherlands did not sat like that. Everyone thinks that the Netherlands is a good success story, but they were also a very big car-centric city. There's a very good book that is written by Brutland and Brutland about the cycling cities, a city, and it talks about, it gives different examples of cities in the Netherlands. And not all of them started as a bicycle-friendly city. They they had to realize that it's necessary for the sustainable for sustainable transportation, and they transformed their cities into non-motorized transport cities. It doesn't mean that they neglected other modes of mobility. They just realized that equity is necessary when you're talking about non-motorized transport and motorized transport, and to give everyone a chance. And right now, Netherlands is the bicycle country of the world. Everyone travels by bicycle. I think two days ago, or was it two days ago, maybe sometime last week, it was bike to work day where everyone leaves their, their vehicles at home and cycles to work. Oh. It's a no brainer for a country like the Netherlands. People yeah. cycle to work. I was very flabbergasted when I first went there and the director of our institute came to work by bike in a suit and I was taken aback. It's also popular that the mayor of the Netherlands rides to work in a bicycle. And these are some of the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and they make it so easy. It's it's an everyday thing. People don't wear helmets because the, the bicycle um routes have been made to be safe. Okay. Um there are also traffic lights for bicycles as there are traffic lights for motorized motorized vehicles. There are also sensors on the on the bicycle transport routes that that when you're traveling and you don't want to, when you're riding and there's no incoming car and you want to just go straight and you hit this sensor, if there's no coming car, the light just turns green for you and you can go, go, go. Oh, okay. um, they, they really prioritized uh, non-motorized, they've prioritized cycling and they know the benefit that it has to society, yeah. but also the benefit that it has on the economic development of the city and the human development as well. So that's probably one good case example I can give, but I wish that there would be more examples that we can offer from the African continent. 
I think we're starting. It it will it it will require it will take a lot of time, but I think there is hope. It's not very uh, dim it's for, not for for the African continent. Yeah, here's to hoping Nairobi is going to be an example that's given. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, and put a bit more thought before we actually build stuff. Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. like uh, like once it's done, we can see the intention. But mm-hmm. the room for improvement, as you say, through in the design phase, mm-hmm. it's it's easier to take an eraser to paper than taking a hammer mm-hmm. to a yeah, construction. Because you know? in fact, what is that there's so much infrastructure behind it, so it has to be so deliberate and thoughtful, like the way the Netherlands prioritized this this mode of transport. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have to be super intentional about, you know, how does our nation move? Is it working? So let's mm-hmm. prioritize the facilities. That yes. is mm-hmm. that is comfortable using. Yeah, is it biking? Let's actually focus on that. Is, the, is it this bus rail transit that they created on Thika Road and they still, they created all these stations <laughs> on Thika Road for our whole bus rail transit and they're just sitting there incomplete, wasted money, and then the other day, I'm dressed up all nicely. I'm going out. I'm going to TRM, Thika Road Mall. And I, I, I'm on a matatu. And I asked them to let me alight at Roy Sambu. First of all, there's no stage. Second of all, I'm in a dress. And it's around 7 p.m. It's getting dark. Mm. And third, one thing Kenyans will always be is creative. <laughs> so the space that was put for the bus rail transit has been closed up. But since there's no stage that, um, like the route the Matatu is like using is right on the highway. So when you are lighting, you are lighting on the highway and there's all those barriers preventing you from moving. Guess what the Kenyans have done? There was a line. I don't know if it was intentional, um, it was intentionally put there by the person who created the, the rails or if it was a clever Kenyan who had a welding machine. But you see how those bars are spaced so that no one can fit. There was one specific place where it was wider than the rest. <laughs> and people were literally lining up on a highway to cross through there. People are lining up. So you either go through there, me in my short dress, I start jumping and it's like off the ground, it's high, you don't go. So you have to like jump and bend and fit yourself through these bars, mm-hmm. dance a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> then you cross another road really quickly for you to get to now there. The, what is it called? The overpass. The overpass. Yeah, the, that's it. That's the thing. It's such a terrible experience. Like, just because it's either that or you walk along the highway. Like, wow. like we leave one lane for pedestrians to walk on the highway because there's no stage there. And if you want to alight somewhere else, you'll be taken like three stages ahead. You have to walk a really long distance back. Mm-hmm. So, so there was absolutely no thought put into that. So the safety of people hasn't even been factored in. But no. in the Netherlands, as Dorcas has mentioned, tech is used to factor in safety just so you don't have to think about too much. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things I can, I can borrow heavily from um, UX is that there's a, there's a book by, I forget his name, but the title is called Don't Make Me Think. Mm-hmm. So anytime a website is being created, it's to help people navigate through it as fast as possible with as minimal mental effort 
as possible. Mm -hmm. It's not that we're trying to create a, a nation of you know, non-thinkers. Mm -hmm. It's just that they can use that mental effort in other things, like at work, instead of crossing the road. <laughs> so they, <laughs> And I think that example that you've given about uh, that space on this um, uh, along um, uh, in Roisambu is one example how, of how walking is overlooked as a mode of transportation in Nairobi. Um, there are quite a lot of people who walk, but it's also, it's very interesting because it's a very ubiquitous mode of mobility. You can see a lot of people, You statistics show that there are a lot of people walking, but yet it's very invisible in the design. It doesn't feature anywhere. And, this, and we see this in, in the risks of accidents that pedestrians are exposed to. You can imagine crossing, uh, alighting at a, at a sta stage, uh, um, and then you don't have anywhere to walk as a pedestrian. Uh, but also it exposes you to a lot of risks. Um, the NTSA data report records 60% of annual road crashes are pedestrian deaths. Oh, yeah. And these are figures that are only recorded. You can imagine that they are much higher for non-recorded or non-reported cases. Um, but it's also because of how how the cities are designed. And you just mentioned a footbridge there, which I think footbridges are really not meant for pedestrians. They're actually made for cars. They're made to ensure that cars travel at an interrupted speeds on highways. Oh, and yeah. the pedestrians yeah, are forced for pedestrians. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then the pedestrians are forced to, to go through these uncomfortable spaces. No one wants to go up a staircase to get to the other side of the road. <laughs> and then you, you go up the staircase, it's steep, it's, it's hot and sunny. You come across, these spaces are often appropriated by vendors or some, you know, they also have some blind spots that create a lot of antisocial behavior. People are scared of walking uh, on, the, on the footbridge at night. And then you wonder why a lot of accidents happen 500 meters away or right under the footbridge. It's precisely because this infrastructure is not designed for the people who, who need to use it. It's not designed for pedestrians. It's designed for other people, precisely the motorists. Mm -hmm. And then we end up questioning, oh, why, you know, there's a footbridge here. Why can pedestrians just think and go over the footbridge? Why are they risking their lives? It just goes to show you that someone is willing to risk their life yeah. to cross to get a shorter access to the other side of the road than to climb a track that gives you yeah a ten uh, that makes your journey seven or ten yeah, minutes much longer. And you get to where you're getting sweatier mm -hmm. and less confident. Exactly. You know, and it's and not it's like packed, it's uncomfortable, it's mm -hmm. it's as though you're doing long distance trading, just walking across the <laughs> <laughs> You're, you know, you're significantly older, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So next real spot in short. What? Yeah, I think I'm just like this whole conversation is giving me flashbacks of every time <laughs> I walk up the footbridge on Gara. Every time <laughs> 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 
I'd like to hear what your experience working in Nairobi was or has been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, for the most part, uh, working in Nairobi has not been a very pleasant uh, experience for me. I am actively a pedestrian because I would like to attune myself to everyday realities of the people that I research in my work. And I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I happened to be in Nairobi last in 2021 when they were constructing the uh, expressway. Oh, okay. And it was the most terrible time for me to to be a pedestrian in Nairobi, precisely because um, when I'm in Nairobi, I often live, live in Milimani. And it's very close to the CBD. So I often walk down to the CBD. And my everyday route was terrible. Uh, they had dug up the pedestrian paths that were existing in the in, in the road that now runs beneath in the old uh, uh, Uhuru Highway. And now um, uh, the road has, not, uh, has since not been reconstructed according to how I followed up. Um, but it's... It, there are no pedestrian crossings, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, and in most times, uh, most cases when you have to walk, it's often longer journeys. I, I had I had an experience where I needed to go to community area from, um, from the CBD. And yeah. I decided to walk because it's close by. Mm-hmm. Uhuru Park was closed at that time for renovation, so it was not easy to access or rather it was inaccessible and therefore I had to walk up uh, Kenyatta Avenue. Um, There's a shortcut when you walk up Kenyatta Avenue and you get to this junction of going either going to taking the route to Nyerere Road or curving up towards community. Mm -hmm. um, Behind just behind the Panafric Hotel there's a route that pedestrians have made for themselves I, I i don't know if you've ever noticed but there's there's a there's a route uh, that goes it's partly fenced so it's not very clear who whom the land belongs to but oh, people often you know use it to come cool. down yeah um and people often use it to come down from bishop road to kenyatta avenue which is a very it just takes literally two minutes to go from bishop road where nssf and um uh, NHIF and all those public institutions are located to yep. go down to Kenyatta Avenue using this uh, yeah pedestrian route. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's not uh, it's not an official route, uh, maybe you might be accused of trespassing. Um, people often go around uh, using the same route that has been designed for access by vehicles, and that takes you. Um, that means you have to go up from, um, I'm forgetting the name of this institution that is, yeah, but what well, you have to take the curve up community um, to Heri- Heri- up Heritage Plaza mm-hmm. and go up and, cur- and and then take the curve to NSSF and NHIF. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is actually 10 minutes longer than what it would take you to, to just cross over this two minute pedestrian path mm-hmm. and go to the other side of Bishop Road. Sure. And what I, it, it just made me realize that there is actually no effort whatsoever to, to design spaces for pedestrians. Often it's that pedestrians have to be, they're often an afterthought and they have to follow the routes that have been designed to provide shorter access for the vehicles 
which is usually longer access means longer access for the pedestrians. Yeah. So all over the world, you'll come across uh, even on Google Maps, you'll come across shorter routes by by mo motorized vehicles, and they're often these very nice maps that are created for public transport routes. I don't know if you've come across them. These interesting metro maps, and I think Matatu, um, there's a digital Matatus also made a very interesting map for how Matatus you can get access to Matatus within Nairobi. Yeah, very beautiful map. Yeah, um, but there rarely such there's rarely such re research that goes into what is the shortest route for someone who is walking. Mm. And I think if I was a pedestrian, and pedestrians are very innovative, they're able to carve paths for themselves that will provide a shorter route to the desired destination. And this route just behind Pan Africa is one good example of how pedestrians have managed to find a shortcut that takes them to the other side of, of Bishop Road. But we don't have such maps on paper. We don't take time to say, okay, if this institution is located here, what are the critical places that everyone needs to go? And what is the shortest places that people go by car? Okay, we have this highway and so forth. What is the shortest route that a pedestrian could use to get access to these places? Yeah. That is often never factored in. It's often that, oh, if you're walking just, you know, even if someone is giving you direction, they'll just give you the direction that you follow the motorized transport. Yeah. And I think that's an area that is really lacking in research today, which is a gap that I try to fill in my work and to see how people journey from one place to another by foot and how these journeys can be made shorter. And that means that they don't have to follow the, the, the routes that is designed for vehicles, mm -hmm. but we can design areas that are more greener and, and better and shorter for pedestrians. So Uhuru Park is a really good example. I, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed walking along Uhuru Park from Milimani to Upper Hill mm -hmm. because it's green, it's quiet, it's away from motorized transport, um, okay, besides all those preachers who used to be in the <laughs> <Uhuru Park. laughs> I'm not sure that anymore. I don't know. I have been in Uhuru Park in a minute. Ever since they Yeah, but that's that's one such example of how of how we can design spaces that are attractive for walking. Aga Khan Walk is also really pleasant to walk. Uh, it's nicely shaded. There's no interference with cars and cars that are moving there are moving at very low speeds. So it's really nice. This, oh, they've also re reconstructed uh, the area between cooperative, the, yeah, co cooperative house yes. and, uh, and national bank, that space. Um, they also worked with artists and made it look very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think those are some of the examples that we can we, we can leverage such ways to make walking a pleasant activity. It doesn't have to be a hop, skip and jump affair on our on the sideways. It's often a thing that walking is usually an extreme sport in most cases. You just have to be ready to cross that road at the right moment and you have to learn how to do that. It's not just given. It's oh, no. excellent when you <laughs> Nairobians crossing by the way foreigners look at us and go like you guys just risk your lives every day. Okay. Every yeah, it's a gamble. It's like oh yeah, then you see a bunch of Kenyans running. <laughs> exactly.
it's not the work of Kenha, for example, to ma maintain the sidewalks. Maybe it's the work of Kenha, but probably it's another branch within Kenha that does that. Okay. So it's not one body that takes over the whole of the maintenance of the road. It's very fragmented. And I think that's precisely where the problem is. Yeah. Let alone that our roads are often designed by engineers who are who do not have any discussion or um, um, collaboration with social planners. Exactly. So we don't have a socio-technical approach to the design of our spaces, especially road uh, spaces. Yeah. And what it because engineers are are trained to think in a very codified sense. They don't. They think numbers, they think function, they think moving vehicles from point A to B. It's very difficult for engineers in Kenya, even as they are taught in the pedagogy as well. So it goes really deep into how they are taught in school of how to integrate non-motorized transport into the design of the road. It's yeah. often how do we design the, 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 the road such that it bears maybe the weight of the vehicle or it provides direct access for the vehicle. And then all other aspects of the human are in the background. Yeah. So if we are to change and if we if we are to make our cities more pedestrian friendly, it definitely has to start with who design our spaces. How are they trained to design such spaces? If you look at the board of engineers, I think there was a there was a gazette notice that was released, um, I think, in the in the beginning of last year, I think in the beginning of January 2022. And um they all of the people who are in the board of uh, in this board are all engineers 10 of them there is no uh, there is no social person there is no urban planner there is no environmental person it was all engineers and you have all you bunch up all people who all think the same definitely you have an outcome that only favors one group of people because you don't have all other perspectives put out on the table so, so, um, representation, like mm -hmm. yeah, and I think that's one of the ways that we as individuals can can make a, a difference in our cities today is we don't have to we we of course we cannot sit on the same table with with these designers and engineers, but we we can start to voice our concerns um and as much as we voice our concerns about public spaces, I think it's very good to appreciate the efforts that are already being recognized, um, that are already being done. Um, the NMS did a good job. I, I, I think it was great to, to just show that even if they didn't do much, at least they showed that, hey, there is this group of people in the, in the city that are very colossal and we need to factor them in our mobility. Yeah. And they went ahead and paved pedestrian spaces and cycling spaces in the CBD. And yeah. even if they did it in the CBD, at least it shows that it makes people see that, yeah, there, there are, there is another mode of transportation besides the car, besides the motor vehicle. Mm -hmm. How can we factor in such that we have a continuous network? Yeah. Um, yeah. So in a nutshell, what I can, what I can, but I can if I could sum up my experience of walking in Nairobi in one word, it mm -hmm. would be unpleasant. But that is my that is what I have experienced at the moment. However, I believe the film there is hope 
for Nairobi becoming a more pedestrian-friendly city. We have more and more leaders who are beginning to change their mindset. But I think it also requires that these leaders are attuned to everyday realities of a pedestrian. They don't know what it means to walk and then come come to a point where you there's no footpath anymore. You have to share the road with the with the motorist. God forbid that it's raining. You have your clothes splashed on with water, and then you have to get home. You have to navigate your way in most cases. Go up that street in the morning. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. By the time you get to work, you're all stressed up. You're stressed up from having climbing a bloody stairs. You're stressed up from meeting all the people in, in, on the road. It's just, it's really unpleasant to walk in Nairobi. But we need people who can also relate with how pedestrians live there every day and how they risk their lives every day to know that it's time to to create a pedestrian crossing. Um, I can I can give several examples, but I think one that really pains me uh-huh. is this. Uh, uh, roundabout uh, on West uh, Westlands uh, at, at Westlands roundabout. It, it was formerly a roundabout. Now it's not a roundabout anymore. Yeah. But every time, every time people are crossing there, it's one of the busiest spaces. There are quite a lot of offices and also private and international offices there. People walk and cross the road over lunchtime, peak hours. So it's busy all the time. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Nobody has noticed that there has to be a pedestrian crossing there. At least there has to be some kind of control of traffic in this particular space. Uh, it's not rocket science, you know. It's 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 easy solutions, but I think it's precisely because the guys who make decisions are in their SUVs and they can't step on the ground to see what actually happens with pedestrians in the city and if they did we would be flabbergasted because <laughs> 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 yeah. I think right now if a Kenyan saw like the president or the deputy president just walking in Nairobi as opposed to his model mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. I think everyone would be so surprised they think maybe an, an event is happening in the in the CBD if you oh, just yeah. decided to just walk oh, you yeah. know yeah. like there is absolutely no situation where you would just find out or fighting that's that would be even more shocking <laughs> yeah they need to be it, it, it can come off a little tone deaf if they're not literally Looking at what we experience um, mm-hmm. it could be just the people in the offices that sign off on some of these contracts that are given to the people doing the the roads or the pedestrian uh, paths. Yeah. Just yeah. Those, well, getting getting on the ground and seeing. Okay, so we give out a contract. How is it going? Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of data can we collect for ourselves mm-hmm. to kind of assess the, the number of people who are actually making yeah. use of these places? Because, I mean, there, there's the preliminary research that then advises the design, mm-hmm. but then are there really room for iterations that are not too costly, that, that don't necessarily mm-hmm. cost them to reorganize an entire yeah, uh, infrastructure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So kind of not like an environmental and social yes which goes back to the whole point of um yeah just having more including more a more diverse um panel of 
professionals. So not just the engineers that you have, we also get the urban planners and the people who are more, um, who have studied for this, people who are more attuned to what's going on. And also for us, exactly. And even across ages, I think, because depending on, I feel like other than gender, different ages view the same experience differently. Because mm-hmm. so, a student uh, views Matatu very differently from like their mom mm-hmm. or their dad. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's also different. So from I don't know, it's <laughs> yeah, there's hope. That's yeah. that's the message. So um now we there we have it. Um this uh I guess marks the end of, of this episode. I am really glad that we were able to talk to you today, Dorcas. Yes. And um that doesn't mean the conversation stops here. And we can always continue the conversation, even on our socials. Um, again, she has been plugging um, <laughs> Twitter and Instagram and all the other good stuff. So again, as Anne said, we'll, just, we'll also um, link to the article that uh, we were talking about. The research. The research, yes. I am sorry. I am sorry. That is... <laughs> <laughs> yes, so treat you to the respect as you're reviewing it. Eh? Yes. Um and also um yeah, from there, if you have anything else that you'd like to add onto that, please feel free and continue the convo there. And also let this be like um what do they call it? Like a case study among best practice on a um proof of concept that uh, when you give feedback, uh we, we follow through. So yeah. this is an episode ah. based on our feedback. Yeah. Um, Shout so out to Theo. Again. Shout out to Dorcas for joining us. <laughs> 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 so yeah, thank you guys again. Um, until the next episode. Yeah. So just a small reminder. You know what? For the in, we've talked about engineers and their panels, and the one engineer on our team <laughs> is hanging a chance. <laughs> That's what you want. You should be So, so, bye guys.